Good morning, Parkway Church. How you guys doing today? So glad you're here with us, whether you're gathered at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Online, or Parkway Victoria. We are just super excited that you're here. We are kicking off a new series today entitled, This, Not That. And I'm, it's going to be a series that's going to challenge us, and I'm so glad you're a part of it. If you're new, my name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. The idea behind this series came as I was watching TV just past this new year. I was watching the Today Show, and a segment came on, this, not that. And it was about eating right. And so they were going to put, should I eat this or should I eat that? And they were going to put the options out there. Should I eat this ground turkey burger with a whole wheat bun? Or should I eat a triple cheeseburger with extra bacon and a sourdough bun? Should I eat this or should I eat that? Right? And so the, 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 the process is simple. It should be obvious that we should choose this instead of that, right? But I kept choosing the that, right? Turkey burger or like burger with pig on it. I'm going with burger with pig on it, right? And so I was always choosing wrongly. And as we look at our study of Scripture, we're, we're stepping into the book of Romans that is going to help us choose the right things to believe and the right ways to live based on what we Believe, and I'm just hoping and praying that the church looks and says, okay, I'm going to choose this instead of that, because this is best for me, and that is not. I'm going to choose this, because this is what God has for me according to his word, and that is not. I'm hoping that we choose this instead of that. As we get started, I want you to play along with me. If a dog is a this and a cat is a that, what do you choose? All you godly people said this. If you have to choose the beach or the mountains, what do you choose? Beach. Beach. Like deep-voiced people want to go to the beach, apparently. Beach. Um, if you have to choose, and this one cuts us to the core. Not Texans or Cowboys. <laughs> and not Patriots or Rams. But something that's even more important on a day like today. If you have to choose red salsa or green salsa, correct answer is both. So together, let's turn in our Bible to Romans chapter 1, verse 8 through 10 is where we'll get started. As we jump into the Word of God today, I need to tell you what the book of Romans is all about. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. You remember as we studied in the book of Acts, there was a man named Saul who was persecuting Christians and looking to kill the church. He was jailing people. He was there when Stephen was martyred. And yet Jesus pursued him and, and Saul believed in Christ and became Paul. And now we see Paul out preaching and sharing the word of God. And we saw it through the book of Acts. And he's writing a book about 57 years after Jesus died. He's writing a book to the Christians in Rome. In fact, if you look at the early statements in the book of Romans, he's writing to the people God loves in Rome and the people who have been called to be holy, his holy children in Rome. And so Paul is a Roman citizen. He's never been to Rome before, but he is a Roman citizen and he longs for these people and he wants these people to know Christ and to know him fully. One of the unique things about the book of Romans is that it is, serves to set a foundation for beliefs or to set a foundation for doctrine. You know, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the story of Jesus. 
And then the book of Acts will tell us the story of the church being born and it spread as we are his witnesses. And then you turn to the book of Romans and you see this foundation of doctrine, this foundation of beliefs. And the story of God will continue and we see letters to churches and we see the book of Revelation. But as we look at Romans, we're going to see the beliefs that we should choose. This, not that. We're going to see that we have a choice between faith and law. We're going to see that we have a choice between rules and relationship. We're going to see that we have a choice between being a victim or a victor, all because of what Christ has done for us. Today, we're going to make the decision, am I building my life on faith or on the law? This or that? Paul's going to build a strong case, an unshakable case, in my opinion, for the case of faith, not law. He begins at Romans 1, 8 through 10. For I thank my God for you, through Jesus Christ, for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. What is the Roman church known for, the church of Rome known for? It's known for its faith. Today we might talk about churches, uh, how, do they, how do they worship? By the way, wasn't worship awesome today at every campus? Yay God, yay God, yay God. Y'all can clap for that if you think it was. You know, they might talk about worship style. They might talk about what we do for kids. There's any number of things that get talked about when you talk about, hey, what's this church like? Well, the church that Paul was addressing here was known for its faith and is being reported all over the world. Verse 9, God whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel of his son is my witness, how constantly I remember you in all my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be made open for me to come to you. Paul says, I've heard about your faith and I want to come experience it. Paul says, I've heard about your faith and I've wanted to come see you for a long time, but I've been kept from coming. So I'm hoping that a way is made now. And what does he want to experience? Like, think about what you hope to experience today as you came to church. Did you hope to experience some, some perspective that you might walk out feeling a little different about life? Did you, did you maybe come needing encouragement and needing hope? Like, what were you expecting when you came to church today? Paul says, I want to come and be with you because of this faith thing that's happening in you and in your church. Romans 1, 11 through 13. I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul says, the faith that's at work in you is also at work in me. And I want to come be with you so we can be mutually encouraged. I would hope that would be one of the reasons that you came to church today. One of the things you're expecting to happen today is to be mutually encouraged in your faith. That yes, God would do something in you and God would also do something through you. God would encourage you and strengthen you, but God might also use you to encourage or strengthen another brother or sister. Verse 13. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but it prevented, but been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. Paul's ministry was to both Jews who were building their relationship with God based on the law, based on the Old Testament commands. He was ministering to Jews, and he also ministered to, to Greeks or to Gentiles. People that weren't following God through the law, but were following false gods and, and were just as 
sinful as the Jewish people that Paul addressed. Paul says there's no difference, and we'll see it again in a second, between Jew and Gentile. Everybody needs this message of faith. Listen to how he puts it. Romans 1, 14 and 15. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you in Rome. His one reason for going is so that people would know how to choose faith and choose life in Christ to the full. Listen to what comes next. It's one of the most famous verses in Scripture. And and Paul had an assistant when he penned the book of Romans who did the real writing for him. And I can just see Paul saying this and it being transcribed. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Pause right there. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is positioning the argument perfectly. He says, I'm not ashamed of the message of faith because the message of faith in Christ who died for you is the message that will save all who believe. All. And then the passage continues. For for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul is saying, if you're going to try and earn your way to God via religion, you can't make it. If you're going to try and be good and be moral and make your way to God with your goodness, you can't make it. Because the righteous will live by faith. And everyone who believes this will be saved. See, there's none of us, all of us need this message of faith. All of us need this message because the godly will live by faith, not by the law. In my Bible reading time right now, we're in a reading plan. Christy and I are reading the Bible together this year. And in our plan, we're in the book of Exodus. We're in the section of Exodus where Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments, and then they also lay out all sorts of other laws for the people of God to follow. See, these laws were established so that the, the, the nation of Israel would stand out as God's people. These laws were established so that they would worship him and, 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 and be, like, be positioned and be with him like in, in, in reality right here, right? They had a completely different relationship with God than you and I have because theirs was based on the law. Ours is not. And we come and and we read that. And and if you get to the book of Exodus and then you make it into Leviticus in your Bible reading, like you look at some of those laws and you go, what is up with God? Let me tell you why those laws were written. Those laws were written not because there's something wrong with God, but because there's something wrong with man. You realize that every law that's been written is because somebody's broken it before? You see that? And so God, as he writes the law for his people, with Moses... It's protecting us from ourselves. And when you read that, you go, this is a really messed up God that he would have these laws. I just want to remind you that in our country, we've got some pretty messed up laws. Like, for instance, in Kansas, it was once illegal to put ice cream on the state pie, a cherry pie. I mean, how can that be illegal? A la mode, 
a la prison. <laughs> I don't get it. Do you know it's illegal in Virginia to hunt on Sunday unless you're hunting a raccoon? Some of you thought I was going to say it's illegal to hunt on Sunday unless you're hunting a Democrat. But that would not have been funny. Not, or true. It's in, in Washington State, it's illegal to kill Bigfoot. In fact, if you kill Bigfoot, you will be fined $5,000. In Biloxi, Mississippi, it's illegal. Or Mobile, Alabama, sorry. Mobile, Alabama, same place, just different trip. Anyway, in Mobile, Alabama... It's illegal to possess or to transport silly string. Silly string. It's illegal. And then my favorite, in Kentucky, it's illegal to to handle snakes in a religious worship experience. In fact, if you're a religious snake handler, they will fine you $50 or more. Let me ask you this question. If you never put ice cream on your pie, and you never held a snake in worship to Jesus, and you never shot Bigfoot, and you only hunt in Virginia on Monday through Saturday, and never for a Democrat, like if you keep all the law, does that make you right, the law that I just put out? It absolutely does not. Because here's the deal. The law extends further than what is written and can be explained in just this moment. Like, for instance, if on your way to the non-snake-handling church, did you drive 36 miles an hour instead of 35 miles an hour, as the law would say? Oh, you're a lawbreaker. Did, did you, as you were not eating that, that ice cream on your pie, did you get a little proud because you were able to, to, to limit yourself from that ice cream? Or maybe you do the opposite like me in that pie. You don't just have one slice, but you have 18 pies in one setting. Right? It turns from a dessert to a gluttonous experience. Do you both regret and look forward to again and again? You see, the law, in its place in our lives, in the place in the people of God's life in the Old Testament, the law simply points out where we're wrong. It never points out where we're right, And it never makes us right with God. It points out where we are wrong. You ever been pulled over by a police officer? Be honest, people. You ever been pulled over just to say, hey, doing a good job? (laughs) Just want to tell you, you weren't speeding. You had both hands on the wheel. Your seatbelt was on. That blinker, you used it every time. You're never pulled over by the law for doing the right thing. And yet, somehow, we think in religion, if we live according to a set of rules or laws, it'll make us good and right before God. This dead religion, it's not based on faith, but instead it's based on our works. This dead religion, it's not based on what Jesus has done, but instead it's based on what we are doing. See, the law was never given for us to earn our way to God. The law was given so we would know that we're desperate for grace and mercy. And that a loving God is just and right when he says we need him. And a loving God is just and right when he says, you need to believe in my son for life. Friends, as you think about the righteous shall live by faith, what's that look like? 
fact, I've got a few questions I'm going to ask that will help you unpack what it means for you and me to live by faith. First question is this. What does it mean to live by faith? Because, Mike, you can preach, 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 but what does it actually mean to live by faith? If I'm going to live by faith instead of by law, if I'm going to live by faith instead of by my own works to earn my way to God, if I'm going to live by faith, what does that mean? Well, listen to what the Bible says. Romans 10, 8 through 12. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that this is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. So he's about to tell us what does faith look like? How does faith work? Verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in him in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I love the certainty that comes with salvation in the name of Jesus. Verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Let's pause right there. In the book of Romans, we're going to see this foundation of doctrine, theological statements. And we're going to see words like justification. We're going to see words like sanctification. We're going to see words like glorification. There's no vacation. But there's lots of justification, sanctification, and glorification happening here. And I want to make sure you know what justified means. It means that you've been made right with God. That he has canceled your sin debt because you have put your faith in Christ. You have believed in Christ for life. This justification happens once. This belief that leads to your forgiveness happens once and it works for all. But there's another type of salvation that we call you to experience as well. And that's what Paul talks about here. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth, Romans 10, 10. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Not only do we believe in our heart, but we profess with our mouth. Which means we experience and live our faith. Which means that we actually put our faith in action. That our faith isn't something we just hide in our heart, but our faith is something that we live with our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And it's where I push you, church. If you say that Jesus is the only way to have eternal life and you believed in your heart and you've been justified, if you say Jesus is the only way to eternal life, can you also say that Jesus is the only way to live my life today? Will you profess that with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord over you, believer in Jesus Christ? Will you profess that he is Lord? If you're betting the farm on eternity... Why not bet Monday on Jesus too? If you say your death will save me from hell, why don't you say your death and as I follow you by faith will save me from hell on earth? Because if we believe in our heart and we confess it and live it, we will, not might be, we will be saved. Verse 11, All scriptures, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on his name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So very practically, have you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? 
Have you called on him and believed in your heart that Jesus died for you? Have you called on him and said, save me from my sins? It's in that moment that you are justified. You were forever made right with God. Heaven is your home. Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The old is gone and the new has come. Why? Because you have believed in Jesus Christ for life. You are choosing faith in the only one who can save you. Have you ever put your faith in Christ? Have you ever believed? If you have, you're now a believer and you have the power of God at work in you. So my, my question to you, believer in Jesus, are you applying your faith to your life? Are you experiencing the salvation that comes as God saves us from ourselves and consequences of our own poor decisions here on earth? You see, your relationship with God doesn't begin the moment that you die and go to heaven. Your relationship with God is a reality here and now. That's why we choose faith. Because when I follow God and actually live my faith, I save myself a lot of problems. When I ignore my faith, when I go my way instead of God's way, when I choose sin over godliness, I pay a price. But when I choose faith, when I choose his way and not my way, what's the Bible say here? That he richly blesses all who call on him and they will be saved. So crystal clear before we move on to the next question. You believe once and are made right with God forever and ever. No man, no woman, no situation, no circumstance can snatch you out of God's hand. You believe once and you're made right with God. But you believe many times, trusting him along the way, and you walk right with God. God has called you as a believer in Jesus to follow him and to trust him by faith over and over and over again because you're his kid. Second question, how can faith help me today? Because I want you to know that your faith isn't just an abstract principle or a part of your life that will help you when it comes time to get through the pearly gates. Your faith is a benefit today. Listen to how it says, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the moment that we believe we're justified, and when we are justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God only comes one way through one person. Peace with God only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. That we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. How does faith help you today? Well, this verse says you've been justified. You've been made right with God. You have peace with God. This, verse, this section of scripture also says that you now stand in grace. That when you believed in Jesus, you're standing before God fundamentally forever changed. You now stand in grace. You were once an enemy of God, but now you're a friend of God. You were once an object of wrath, but now you're an object of his love. You were once not a child, but now you've been adopted into his family as sons or daughters. You have a standing in grace. And we preach grace by faith because here's the deal. If we don't, we will try and live our, our lives for God based on the rules. 
We will try and live our lives based off of guilt and shame instead of the standing of grace that God has you in. You're a child of God if you believed in Christ. And that faith works because it's changed how you relate to God and to everybody else. I wish I could communicate better. How deep and how rich and how powerful it is to be standing in grace instead of standing in the law. You ever, you ever been in the backyard and you're, I mean, it's really mushy right now, I get it. And, and, and you, you ever been in your backyard and you're doing something and you got one foot on solid ground and you got one foot in an ant bed? You ever, you ever been there? Oh, you move that foot out of the ant bed as quickly as possible, right? That pain, that hurt. Let me tell you, when it comes to us choosing faith, the solid ground, or choosing the law, the ant bed that only shows us our problem, we are in a standing of grace before God. Some of you, and sometimes I, am still living in that ant bed where I am choosing to experience the sting and the pain of where I'm standing. And God says to you, you don't have to stand there anymore. You're a child of God. You're my kid. You stand now in grace. Get out of the ant bed. I always loved that whenever my kids were little and they'd get in ant beds, right? A little kid gets in an ant bed, and what do they do? They just say, ah! Right? They're dancing in the ant bed. And as a dad, you give the best advice ever. Get out of the ant bed. Get out. I think you get the point. Let's finish it up. Romans 5, 3 through 4. What happens when we stand in grace? Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. See, friends, when we live by faith, standing in grace, what happens? We face tough times and we don't let go. We persevere because we are God's kid. And then when we persevere, God develops character in us because we're learning how to live our faith. Because you, you believe in Jesus once and you're justified. You believe in him many times along the way. Say, God, work now. You believe in him many times along the way. God, I know you can work now. You believe in him many times along the way. God, give me wisdom now to know how to get out of the ant bed. We believe in him once and are made right. We believe in him many times to see our lives lived right. And we hold on to him and characters developed and then hope is built. Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Friends, this life of faith that I'm inviting you to, this life of faith that Scripture commands us to, Scripture commands us, and I invite you so that you will know that hope in God is real. And when you live by faith, what Christ has done, instead of what you can do, you are finding your hope in the right place. Hopelessness comes when you don't know who or where to put your hope. When you tried it all and none of it is working, 
hopelessness. But I invite you to put your hope in, in the fact that your hope is found in your faith. When we put our hope in God, we will not fail. We will not be put to shame because our hope isn't empty. We put our hope in God, not just us. We put our hope in God, not just others. Our hope is in God, not in our circumstances. When you live by faith, your hope is in the one who is all-powerful, all-loving, and never-changing. This is why we invite you to believe him and to trust him as you live your life, follower of Christ, so that you will have hope that nothing can shake, so that you will have hope in the one who is all-powerful, all-loving, and never, ever changing. So what difference does faith make? What's it mean to live by faith? And then the third question. What should I do when my faith is weak? We've all been there. If faith is what builds hope and faith is what leads us to live life change after Jesus as believers, what do I do when my faith is small? We've all been there. Jesus, in fact, said, if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, which is itty-bitty, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And so it's not even a question of how big is my faith, but who am I trusting? But in those moments when you feel like your faith is small, what do you need to do? Paul tells us the story of Abraham, who was promised to be the father of a great nation. He was old when this was promised. And his wife couldn't have children when this was promised. And yet God promised it. And listen to what the Bible says about Abraham's faith. Yet he, Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he said or what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham had to wait 25 years for the promise of God to be delivered on. And yet, he didn't waver in unbelief. Instead, he was known to be fully persuaded. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. What was he fully persuaded? He was fully persuaded that God can. Faith reminds us of that. He's fully persuaded that God will. Faith reminds you that God never reneges on a promise. He was fully persuaded that God is who he says he is. Friend, when your faith is weak, what can you do? Remind yourself of who God is. David in the Psalms talks about preaching to himself when his soul is downcast. You might need to preach to yourself and say, I'm putting my hope in the all-powerful, all-knowing, never-changing God right now. Your voice might not sound like mine, but you preach to yourself. You preach to yourself and you remind yourself of who God is. You remind yourself of God's goodness. He can and will do everything he's promised. When your faith is small, our God is still big. Remind yourself so that you can have hope that produces, that's produced from character no matter what you're going through. So friends, you have an option. You can build your faith on this 
Well, you can build your faith on that. Will you choose faith, not the law? Build your life, build your future, build everything on the faith that you have in Christ. That faith that saves you and that faith that carries you through every day of your life as you trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word, to learn and grow and be challenged today. God, I pray that you help us all to apply this message to our lives. Church family, as we pray, maybe you need to go to God and say, I've trusted you for eternity. Help me to trust you tomorrow. I've trusted you for heaven. Lord, help me to trust you as we live here on earth. Help me to follow you by faith. Maybe there's an area in your life where you know you haven't been following him by faith. Confess that to him and commit to him. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I invite you to believe today. You're a sinner who needs a savior and Jesus is the savior and Lord of all. And he invites you to believe and to find life in him and him alone. That's that word, justified. He's inviting you to have peace with God. If today's your day to believe, you can mark it with a prayer, you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.